You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Well, Easter is over. Our many services done. Jesus is resurrected and hope is alive. And we're back to Galatians. And what I want to do is just, we're actually in the second part of this book, but this is such a weird, weird season, isn't it? You know, coronavirus and COVID-19 and wrestlings going on. Uh, I'm something of a news junkie, but I'm actually watching a lot less news now just because it's all the same thing over and over again. But one thing that interests me is the play of personalities, And in the various plays of personalities, there's one guy that is just really interesting as a character, and he is Dr. Anthony Fauci. You see him here. And he is literally a small man among humongous personalities and powers. And he has become America's doctor. And as I was reading about him in an article in The New Yorker that's his biography, Uh, He is an amazing guy. He's almost 80 years old. He is in the midst of the most powerful players anywhere. Criticism is running everywhere, and he's holding the future of the United States in his hand in many ways. And one of the things that intrigues me is how can this guy do what he does without getting pulled into all the stuff that's going on there in the middle of politics in Washington, D.C., because it's a hotbed. And when you're doing stuff and you've got men and women looking literally over your shoulder, frowning, and you're speaking, what is the secret that keeps him from being pulled into the, the interchange of insults and accusations? And in this thing, it gave his thing. Somebody asked him, said, how do you avoid getting pulled into all this stuff? And his answer is, I simply go to my favorite book of philosophy, The Godfather. (laughs) The Godfather, like, isn't that where they kill people? Yeah, that's exactly it. And the thing of it is, when they do this stuff, it's nothing personal, it's just business. And somehow he's able to keep his work as an infectious disease expert and head of the National Institute of Health for, you know, almost four decades and he's able to make it, it's just business and get called into the stuff. Now, I don't know how he does that, but when we look in this section in Paul, beginning in chapter 4, verse 12, we see that is not how Paul works either. Because I look at this passage, and when he's, this is verse 12, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, I plead with you, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. This is a very different flavor than what Dr. Fauci suggests. I plead with you, he says. I plead with you. As you know, he says here, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel from God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Very personal. And he goes on. He asks this, Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if Jesus, 
I can testify that if, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. I mean, what an incredible statement of the personal interest they had in him. They would have ripped out their most precious thing and given it to him. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? This is not business as usual. This is deeply personal. These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided it's the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. And he concludes here, my dear children, this is not business as usual, my dear children, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. I mean, this is, this is not business as usual. This is not just, I'm just doing as a matter of fact and scientific evidence. He is speaking with incredible power for whom I am again in pains of childbirth. I've never done childbirth and I'm old enough that I wasn't allowed to be with Sherry when she actually gave birth to our sons. I was with her in the labor room. But when I think of childbirth, well, this is Bethany, my daughter, lives over in Boise and her little girl, Emily. And she's actually in the labor and delivery room there in the hospital in Boise. And you see Emily with her uh, ear up against Bethany's belly. She's 37 weeks pregnant and she's in the delivery room they have already begun the inducing. I've gotten the phone call. I'm on the road headed from Portland to Boise. And when I got there in the afternoon, she was in bed. She was in labor. And we took this, Jesse took this picture of us. And she is about to give birth. And I look at this process. Well, this was the outcome. Lucas, Luke and Thomas. This is in the recovery room after this is done. And I look at those two little guys and I think, oh my gosh. So when I think of birth, I mean, this is my most recent picture, 37 weeks inside and 37 weeks outside. The labor and pangs of childbirth until Christ be formed in you. Now these little guys are only 37 weeks old. They got a ways to go before they're fully formed. But that's the way he's feeling. It's deeply personal, very, 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 very real. My dear children, I labor as a woman in childbirth to produce children so dear and precious to her. Now, to lay the foundation for this, because the first half of the book, I realize it's been Easter, and you may have forgotten a thing or two from our other series of sermons, so let me just go back and review some things for you. When he talks about this, he's talking here, first of all, about the foundation of the gospel of Jesus the Messiah. And when I think about that gospel... We talked about this in an earlier sermon. It's beginning with uh, Jesus is, remember what goes in here? Yeah, Emmanuel, Lord Messiah. And this one who's Emmanuel, Lord Messiah, is crucified there in Acts chapter 2. He's dead, but he doesn't stay there. He is raised to newness of life, and he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. And from there, he pours out the Spirit. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus, Emmanuel, Lord, Messiah, died, rose, exalted, poured out the Spirit. That's the good news of what Messiah has done. 
So when you think about this foundation, there are a couple of things that come out of this that are important. And this is what he's saying to these people who have betrayed him now. He's saying this, membership in the people of God, and that's for just to become members of the people of God because we begin in darkness under the kingdom of this world. Membership of the people of God is a gift. I don't know how strongly I can say that because there's nothing we have to do to earn this membership. All we have to do is recognize our need and receive the gift. That's all there is to it. That's all we need to do it. We receive it because we've recognized our need and we dare to trust that the work that Jesus has done on the cross is adequate to the need I bring to him. It's a gift given freely. There's nothing we have to do to accept it. We always, we always, whether we're Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, makes no difference what ethnicity you are, what your economic status is, what your gender is. Those are irrelevant. When it comes into the kingdom of God, this gift is received freely simply by receiving it from Messiah. And when you've received this, people become children of God, and it's that big word that we all love. It's the name of this church, grace. And grace, as we've been looking at together, grace is this uh, God's unmerited acceptance freely given for the sake of relationship and for the enablement to serve him and others. That's what grace is. It's a free gift. It's an enabling kind of gift. It's a community-type gift. And that's the foundation of the gospel. It's a gift of grace given to those who receive it. Once we become people of God, once we become children of the Lord Most High, then we show, we don't earn it, but we show our status of children of God. And the way we do it is by doing righteousness and justice. And that clicks back into the Old Testament where righteousness and justice are community characteristics where all relationships, God, others, self-rest of creation, are well-ordered, flourishing people getting dignity and respect as they deserve because they're people of God, because they're image of God. And that's true of everybody. And the thing of it is, this is done, this righteousness and justice. Paul's going to tell us in the next chapter, that fulfills Jesus' deep command is love your neighbor as yourself. That's because we're the people of God. It's not what we do to become the people of God. It's because we're the people of God, this gracious working of the Holy Spirit in us has this good result, which is reminding of this. Now, we need to remember here that we're freed because the gospel is freeing us from stuff. It's bringing us into the freedom of the child of God and in this thing, we are freed from bondage to keeping the works of the law. Now, for somebody who's Jew, they may not see that as a bondage, but Paul recognizes that all these things, these 613 commandments of the Mosaic Code, are actually cramping us in like fence in a backyard keeping a child from going outside. There's a good place for it, but when that child's 24 years old, you don't need to keep him out of the street. And we're freed from that bondage and all the stuff with that. But beyond that, we're not only freed from bondage to the law, we're also freed from domination to the spiritual powers. Now, if your background is a Galatian Gentile, 
you've been serving the gods of the city and you have to serve them well or they hurt you. You have to find out what they want and give it to them or they will be very upset with you and cause you great difficulty. You're freed from that domination for you're brought out of the darkness into the beauty and the light of his God's love. And then finally, we are freed from all standards of worth. I talk to a lot of people and almost without exception, they feel this burden of measuring up. And when it comes to being part of the kingdom of God, that burden is taken away, at least from God's side. We're freed from all standards of worth, all standards of accomplishment, all standards of measuring up, save one. And that one standard of worth by which we're measured is the, the measure of Jesus Christ. And Jesus isn't a, a standard for us to reach because it's hard to get there. It's something he helps us reach. That's what we mean when we talk about the foundation of the gospel. So the goal in all this, the goal in all this is that phrase that he used, serves the pain of childbirth until Christ be formed in you. What does that mean to have Christ formed in us? And basically what it's saying is that at this point, we love and live like Jesus. And again, the reason we do it is not because it's a standard out here that I have to get to. It's not something up here I have to measure up to. It's something in me that works itself out by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the community of Jesus Christ. And that Christ be formed in you is what he's talking about when he says he wants us to love and live like Jesus. That's forming of Christ in us. In this place, our identity, our meaning of our life, the significance of who we are, is foundationally, the basics foundation is we are children of Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ. Our identity, the foundation, is our identity with Jesus Christ. Now, there's more to it than that. I mean, I look at myself, I am a very happy grandfather. That's very central to my identity is I've got a bunch of grandkids, bio and non-bio grandkids, and I love them. And so anybody around me very long is going to hear about my grandkids because I'm proud of them. They're doing super good. No, I won't do it. I'll, I'll save it another time to tell you about my grandkids. I, I'm a professor and I get to pastor, pastor. It's amazing. Those are points of my identity. I'm married to my pretty wife, Sherry. And when I see her here in a bit, I will sit down beside her and I'll hold her hand. I'll say, oh, you're, thank you for loving me the way you do. See, that's identity points, but the foundational identity, the one that's unchanging, is the one that comes through Jesus Christ. So the outcome of this all, the outcome of this all is we live by the Spirit. And because we live by the Spirit, we don't gratify the deeds of, we don't gratify those desires of the flesh, Paul's going to say in the next chapter. And by flesh here, he doesn't mean our physicality. By flesh, he means here those sinful desires that run deep in us. That's the foundation. That's the foundation. That's the goal till Christ be formed in us. Let's sing something here about the kindness and love of God. 
You know, it really makes me wonder how the Galatians could go from the spot of I need you, as Tal just sang so powerfully. How could they come from my one defense, your righteousness? When I fall, I fall on you. How could they go from that to the spot where they have abandoned Paul and betrayed him, where he ends up saying, these people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us. What they want to do is put you back into bondage. Why would they do that? What's the connection point? Where, what happened to the people that had this foundation, the gospel? What is this deadly distraction that has led these people who have received freedom from the bondage to the demonic spirits, what is that deadly distraction that's led them away from the freedom of Jesus Christ, the foundation of salvation by grace alone in Messiah, to come back to the space where they're putting themselves back into bondage again? Well, the text doesn't really say anywhere in the book of Galatians exactly what it is, except that they're being brought back into the Jewish spirit. And what I'm thinking here is these are people who have a heart for Jesus. And because they have a heart for Jesus, they're looking for a higher life. I know back in, uh, back after I came to Christ as a, between my sophomore and junior years of college, I, I deep, commitment back to Jesus. I don't think I'd ever really left him, but I'd certainly left fundamentalist Christianity. thought I'd left Jesus. And when I came back to Jesus, I mean, I was in. And when Sherry and I were married and moved up to Denver shortly after that, I got in contact with a fellow who told me about the higher life. And I said, man, if there's something higher, count me in. I want that so much because I want to give my everything for Jesus. And what I'm thinking, what I'm thinking is that this may be what pulled these people back into putting themselves back under bondage to the 613 commandments of Moses, plus all the interpretations. They're looking for a higher life, a more spiritual life, a more righteous life. And the thing is, how do you define that? Because it's not just the life of the spirit that we're going to read in the next chapter. It's, it's something else. It's a deadly distraction from the freedom that's in Jesus Christ. And apparently these people bit into it. And when I think of what's running around today, and oh my gosh, on the internet, you can find anything. But I'm finding a number of churches that are coming mostly through webcast well, everything these days, but the other times as well. And they're calling people into a higher spirituality. If you have the intimacy with God, then you can have health and wealth. If you have intimacy with God, then you can have the experience of his nearness. There's a monastic movement that's calling back into deeper spiritual practices. And, and it's a higher life. And it's attractive to people who have, they, they're, they're, they're ones on the Enneagram. They're into excellence. And it's an attractive kind of thing. I think that's made on one side. The other side is, and this happens a lot more to the folk I know here in, in the Portland area, is they're looking for the authentic life. These are the kinds of people who, uh, a phrase is, well, you be you and I'll be me. 
and I got to be all that I want to be. They're the ones who are looking to explore themselves. They're looking for ways to know themselves. And sometimes they're into various gospels that will help them go deeper into the authentic life. They're not looking for a spiritual life out there, looking for a spiritual life in here. And that's a driving thing. I've got to be me and I can't be beholden to anybody else for anything else. And they're so deeply committed to an authentic life. In watching the news around all this COVID stuff, there have been several celebrities who have caught the COVID-19 and died. One of them that I just barely heard of is John Prine. This is John Prine and his wife, Fiona. And just all this, he's an older man here. John Prine, you can tell, is a man who's into women, and he's big time into women. In fact, his whole life was defined by the proverbial wine, women, and song, and he was doing a lot of the singing. And when I was watching the news clip that just gave a picture of his life, it caught me because his signature song, kind of everybody has a signature song, Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. For John Prine, the signature song was When I Get to Heaven. And it immediately caught my interest. Well, John Prine, Wine, Women, and Song, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? Well, and this is from the YouTube video, this picture. <laughs> it's a fun caricature, and the background's interesting. And look at this, and these are lyrics of the song, When I Get to Heaven... I'm going to shake God's hand, thank him for more blessings than one man can stand. Then I'm going to get a guitar and I'm going to start a rock and roll band and check into a cell hotel, ain't the afterlife grand. And the chorus is, then I'm going to cocktail, vodka and ginger ale. Yeah, I'm going to smoke a cigarette that's nine miles long. I'm going to kiss that pretty girl on the tilt whirl because this old man is going to town. And you see the picture. Now, for him, that's the authentic life. And I know people for whom that is a very, very attractive picture. And what they're saying here is, I got to be me. I got to satisfy my desires. And that when I get to heaven, there's a gospel sound to that. Just be all you can be. Don't let anybody hold you back. That deadly distraction. Is it this higher life? the spiritual ascetic life? Is it the authentic life, the John Prine, when you get to heaven kind of life? See, those are distractions from the worth that comes through being like Jesus, the satisfaction that comes from him. Paul does a personal plea. It's very personal. He pleads with them. This is chapter 4, verse 12. He pleads with them. And it's a deep plea. And his plea, and this is a way that you reach into people's lives, I discover. His plea is, become like me, Paul's saying, because I became like you. And in this balance, this personal plea, The call is become like me as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not said he's perfect, but he's follow my direction in life, follow my passion in life, follow my foundation in life because I become like you. So he says this. This is Jesus. Luke chapter 6. The Pharisees complained to his disciples, talking about Jesus, why do you 
eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. Because, see, that's very sinful stuff. Jesus answered him, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So that first phrase, eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, what's he doing there? Well, I became like you. And what this is saying is that Jew Jesus, a righteous, godly man, becomes such a person that he can be comfortable and sinners and tax collectors can be comfortable with him. I become like you. But what he's also saying in that last phrase is, I want you to become like me. And that's that balance in Jesus. And that's the balance that Paul's doing in his own life in relation to the Galatians who have betrayed him. I become like you. Now, a misunderstanding of that, and I find people is, well, I became like you. And what the thing is, is when you do this, Jesus being with tax collectors and sinners, is you flex everything. Everything. Except Jesus Christ. And when I think of reaching into somebody's life, I mean, I've got my customs and traditions. I've got values to me that are very personal, that are very difficult for me to compromise. Uh, when we're in the Philippines, one of the hardest things for me is the fact that just by virtue of being an American, I was automatically a higher class citizen. And it was extremely difficult for me to be in, in a group of people because I'm American. As an American, I'm egalitarian. I'm, I'm Gary. I don't want to be Dr. Bashir's. I want to be Gary. I want to be on an equal plane. And coming into the Philippines, especially where we lived for three years, I had to get used to the fact that just by the fact that I was an American, I was automatically put on a higher class. And I had to be okay with that because I had to become like them. I had to flex everything except Jesus Christ. That was hard for me. It was. And what it's saying here is to this personal plea means I'm willing to put everything aside except Jesus Christ. Everything. And when Paul does this work with these people who have betrayed him, gone after a false gospel that's going to lead them into destruction... He says here he's hurt, and he is hurt by their betrayal. He's hurt. What does he do with that anger that inevitably comes out of that hurt? What he does is he loves, he does not fight, and he does not flight. That pain leads him to love them, not to fight them, throw insults and contempt, or to just... Forget it and walk away. Again, he's being Christ-like. He's being Christ-like. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them your left. You don't walk away and you don't hit them back. And that's precisely what Paul is doing to the people there in Galatia. He is not resorting to fight. He's not forget you, I'm done. 
He resorts with love and this personal plea that brings him great pain. So I think what's happening, our insecurity shows in this kind of thing, our insecurity in the gospel in us shows up at the spot when we insist that other people conform to my standards. So in the Philippines, it would have been for them to insist that they call me Gary and treat me as an equal, because that's what's comfortable for me. And the insecurity in the gospel is when I don't believe the gospel is sufficient and I add my own traditions to it and Paul doesn't do that. The other side of that personal plea is become like me. And that's to say, yeah, I became like you. I'll flex everything gospel, but I want you to become like me in Christ. And I find a lot of people, okay, become like me and I'm waiting. There's no offer to help. They're just, I'm waiting, come on, like measure up. That's no good. That's no good. That's not Paul. That's not Paul. It's not, I'm waiting for you to respond. No, no, no. That's the judgmental side. The other side is I became like you and we're good. We're both here together. Don't we just loving being together? I affirm you in your sin. No, 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 no. You can't do that either. You can't do that either. You can't just stand back and wait for them to come. You can't join them in their sin and brokenness and leave them there. You have to, you have to say, I embody the life I want you to live. Now, is that hard to do? If you're a follower of Jesus, don't follow me, follow Jesus. No, we are disciples of Jesus. We're on a path toward his likeness. And that's what he is saying is, I want you to follow me being a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, growing toward him and Christ's likeness. And it shows our insecurity in the gospel when we don't have the courage to call people to repentance because we should call people to repentance. Well, that's not nice. It's being judgmental. No, it's not. It's calling people to be free from the trash. Again, looking at Jesus. He's saying, if somebody slaps you in the right cheek, give them your left as well. But he also says in Matthew chapter 23 to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. You have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So he's coming to the Pharisees and he's calling them, you become like me. Paul does the same thing in the beginning of Galatians when he says, if anybody, even an angel of heaven, preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed everything except the gospel. I become like you, so you become like me, a patient follower of the Jesus. That's what we're looking for. I plead with you, brothers. When I think of the heartbreak that Paul had, I found myself going back and thinking of Living Hope Church. I just saw it on the news this week because some of the amazing stuff they're doing at Living Hope Church over in Vancouver. I've got a long history of this church. They open the place for homeless people. Their live love ministry is just outstanding. It's an amazing church. Turns out one of my former students is a, is the lead pastor there, Doug Frazier. But when I think of it, I think of the founding pastor and I think of John Bishop. This is a picture of John, one of the most evangelistic men I've ever been around. I, I've seen 
hundreds of people come to Christ under his ministry. I've been in this baptismal tank, baptizing people with him. And he just loved to see people, a passionate worshiper of Jesus Christ, passionate because of his own sinful childhood and young adulthood and came to Christ when he almost got killed in a karate thing. Passionate worshiper of Jesus. He's probably most famous. If you look up John Bishop Tiger, you'll find when he had Tiger on the stage there at Living Hope Church and he made the thing he was told not to do. He reached down to pet the tiger and the tiger jumped on him. It's worth taking a minute and 30 seconds and going to watch the film clip on YouTube just to put in John Bishop Tiger. It just, it took all the stuff and John scared him to death with his tiger jumped on him. But the thing I remember is this, the living nativities at Living Hope where they'd have Curly the camel and goats and sheep and all kinds of things and live wise men and they'd come up on stage and John would preach the gospel because people would come to see Curly the camel and he'd show them Jesus. Amazing man of God. And I, I knew some of John's brokenness. And after he had his knees replaced and some tensions in the church, I knew that he had turned to alcohol. I knew he was drinking too much. I knew that he was looking for comfort and was finding it in an unhealthy relation with a woman in the church. I knew about those things. And I tried my best to reach into John's life and he wouldn't let me go there. And I wish I'd studied this passage more. Maybe I could have been better to become a more like you, to get myself more into his world so I could have called him back from the sin that eventually blew up and cost him the pastorate there living hope. And after he lost the pastorate and lost his job, he ended up running drugs from Mexico. And this is the most recent picture of John I have. It's he's going into his trial with his attorney. He's serving prison time, a powerful pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's in prison, federal penitentiary, for running drugs. And it breaks my heart that I wasn't able to reach into my friend. I just texted with Michelle, his wife, a couple days ago. We have a bit of a relationship. Breaks my heart. John, I wish I'd anything I could. But see, that's the heart of Paul. He's heartbroken, pleading. You don't have to stay there. You can be free. That's the kindness of God at work. I want to sing about that too. That's what we do. We believe in all these things. Virgin birth, crucifixion, life, resurrection pouring out the Holy Spirit, second coming, all these things we believe because it gives us that transformation. Perhaps you're in one of those spots where you have not found that hope. Perhaps you're one of those spots where you've not found the freedom that Jesus Christ believes. Right after the service, you'll see some links to where you can connect to some Zoom prayer meetings. We'd love to have you join one of those. And if you want to pray with somebody, link in and we'll get you hooked up. If you're not a part of that, uh, there are prayer requests. You can come in through the website, gracecc.net. You'll see the prayer requests as you look in there. And we'll have, as Jay said at the beginning of our service, there's a Zoom membership class. 
And you can see here the where to go and look on the website. You can find the thing there too. Let's pray as we finish up our service here. Father, thank you that you love us so much. Your kindness draws us to repentance. Your grace calls us to newness of life. Lord Jesus, when you are lifted up, you condemn the prince of this world, but you draw us to yourself all kinds of people in all kinds of places. And I pray for those who do not yet know you, that they would be able to just maybe take that hope to say, maybe there is hope. For the rest of us, give us, show us those places where we're liable to be trapped by the enticing false gospels to give us that conviction that we want nothing but the freedom of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, show us those things, draw us to that, bring us unity that we can speak the truth of this resurrected Lord Jesus Christ who's come to be with us. And I pray that you'll guide us in all these things. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have a great afternoon and great week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.